Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 89, The Practical Joker, and Albatross, from Star Trek, the animated series. Welcome into another edition of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Ken Ray. Um, you gonna tell people who you are? Say please. Okay, please. Say pretty please with sugar on. Huh. You know, that's usually me doing that. <laughs> I will, uh, I'll tell you what, I will do this once, but only because I would, uh, like to get going. Pretty please, with sugar on. Was that so difficult? Say who you are! I'm John Champion. Each week, <laughs> we look deep into the morals, meanings, and messages that pop up in Star Trek. That is every episode of Star Trek from the very beginning. This week, you catch us smack dab in the middle of season two of the animated series. Today's episodes, The Practical Joker and Albatross. I, I can't believe you held back from doing the Albatross bit. I did it last from- week. You did. And I was thinking that uh, Practical Joker and Albatross was quite possibly the worst uh, cop show from the 70s ever. <laughs> I mean, it was when they were just throwing like every, you know, every nickname they could possibly think of. It, and it right. wasn't really, it really wasn't until Jake and the Fat Man. Well, maybe Hardcastle and McCormick that those names started to be good again. But See, yeah. I, thought, I thought it sounded like a late 70s R&B team, you know. <laughs> Practical Joker and Albatross. Albatross, yeah. 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 Or maybe, yeah. The, maybe the title of a Yes album. Right. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know we've got a lot of like, you know, uh, sussing things out, trying to figure stuff out, uh, stuff to stuff to like, you know, does any of this mean anything? And I'm not talking about life. I'm just talking about the show. Although, well, we might talk about life, too. Well, you know, one, you know, ties into the other in some way. Uh, before we get to any of that, though, there's, there's this uh, trivial stuff that we have to get out of the way uh, called trivia. Right. So, Ken, today is going to be one subject and one subject only about Lou Scheimer. Of course, he's one third of the filmation team, Norm Prescott and Hal Sutherland. But Lou had a very interesting life, and he's kind of the the spearhead of uh, Star Trek and the animated series. He was born in 1928 in Pittsburgh. Now, there's this uh, great family story. Um, its truth value may be debated, but it has been said that his family had to leave Germany when his father, uh, World War I veteran Solomon Gundersheimer, punched out a young Adolf Hitler in a beer hall. Now, was it actually the beer hall putsch? Um, not really sure, but uh, he had to do this and had to leave the country when uh, that young-ish Adolf Hitler wanted to send his, uh, his forming Nazi party after Mr. Gundersheimer at that time. Hmm. Um, Lou himself served in the U.S. Army from 1946 to 1948. He went to art school at uh, Carnegie Tech. And when he moved to L.A., that was in about 1950 or early 50s, uh, he started work in a commercial art studio, which then led to animation work as a background artist. Now, here's where we start to put together filmation. In the early 60s, he and Hal Sutherland were working on a series at TrueLine. TrueLine was another animation house. And when TrueLine couldn't complete the job for the Rod Rocket series, 
Lou and Hal incorporated filmation to take over the workload. So that job ended after a couple of years, and uh, they were ready to just close up shop when CBS called and asked if they could produce Superman for less than the other animation houses that were bidding. They said yes, and the rest is low-budget animation history. Um, Now, Ken, you might remember that uh, we said that Majel Barrett Roddenberry was ready to have a baby around the time that the first season of TAS was ending. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, you said, whatever happened to that guy? Yeah. Well, um, Lou Scheimer was actually there at the christening party. Um, and he describes it that he was there as were uh, a rabbi, a Catholic priest, and a Protestant minister, and the governor of California and his wife, and booze, lots of booze. <laughs> he said that things got out of hand for this being uh, the austere uh, christening party that it was. That sounds like the beginning of the weirdest joke ever. Doesn't it, though? Yeah, I mean, I read that, and I was like, uh, <laughs> A priest, wow, a minister, this, a rabbi, um, the creator of Star of Trek, a guy from an animation studio, a baby, and a bunch of booze <laughs> right. walking to a party. The governor at that time, by the way, would have been Ronald Reagan. I forgot, uh, about, I forgot about the governor part. Really? Yeah. Reagan? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, interesting, huh? Um, <laughs> now, that just got crazy. Yeah. Now, I specifically wanted to talk about Scheimer today because we, we're going to get to him doing some voice work in the animated series. And actually, he did some before. We heard him a little bit in uh, The Pirates of Orion, or Orion, depending mm-hmm. on how you want to go with that. Um, but he provided a lot of voices for filmation shows, including Tarzan's Chimp Companion and uh, several guest voices on He-Man and even did Dumb Donald on The Fat Albert Show. Um he did the voiceover narration on live action shows like Jason of Star Command and Space Academy. And uh, he is sometimes credited as Eric Gunden. Um, as you can tell, he kind of pulled together the family name for that. And he is also credited as Erica Lane. So that is his daughter's first name and his son's first name as a composer on the He-Man series. And sadly, we lost Lou in late 2013. Cartoon number one, The Practical Joker. Act one, the Enterprise is out studying asteroids. Everything is going swimmingly, and they're going to finish up their survey a full 72 hours ahead of schedule. Or they were until, ah, Romulans. Three ships that were hiding behind the last asteroid attack the Enterprise. Scotty wants to attack, but Kirk has a better idea. Run away and talk to them. The Romulan commander says the Enterprise has trespassed into Romulan territory. Kirk says they have not, and he's going to complain to the Federation about the attack, though the Romulan commander points out how difficult that will be when he's dead because he trespassed into Romulan territory, which is punishable by death. And the attack resumes. Quick! Through that unidentified energy field that doesn't show up on charts. It's a rough, turbulent ride, but the Enterprise makes it through. Deciding not to take the risk, the Romulans did not follow them into and through the energy field, so no more attack. Kirk basically parks the Enterprise for repairs. Besides, it's time for lunch. A sumptuous spread for Kirk, Spock, McCoy, Uhura, and Scotty. Complete with dribble glasses and a rubbery sort of fork for Kirk. What the... Eh, it could be a problem with the food and utensil-making machines, or somebody's pranking the senior staff luncheon. It doesn't stop there, though. Spot gets pranked. A food production unit is throwing everything at Scotty except the grilled cheese on rye he ordered. He even gets a pie in the face. 
And Kirk is a jerk. It says so on the back of his freshly cleaned captain shirt. This has all gone from funny to highly annoying, with each member of the Enterprise crew accusing other members of the Enterprise crew of taking all of the practical joking too far. Here's the thing, though. When the crew sees the Kirk is a jerk shirt, no one is laughing. No one, that is, except for that voice on the intercom that they can't identify. And the jokes just keep coming. Someone has turned the corridor floors to ice, and there's that laugh again. And Kirk and Spock figure it out. Well, Spock does. He says the practical Joker is the Enterprise itself. And Kirk says, Of course! That laugh is the voice of our main computer! Like he was about to figure it out on his own. Kirk is a perceptive individual. Kirk wants everyone back to their posts. They're going to run a full systems check of the ship. The general call back to work is made, but it's unheard by McCoy, Uhura, and Sulu. They've decided to spend their off hour in the rec room. And let me just say, wow. Remember how lacking in recreation the rec room seemed in the original series? Okay, this is going to blow your mind. On the animated series, the rec room can bring up any environment they want. A walk on the beach, a hike through the woods, punch a few buttons, and you're in the simulated environment that seems boundless and as real as the real thing. Button pushing, though, right? If I were designing this thing, I'd make it voice activated. Just, you know, tell it what you want. And I'd come up with a cool name for it, like... Hollow Land or Illusion Deck. Eh, maybe somebody can refine that someday. The three decide on a walk in the woods. Turns out they're the only three to not answer the call back to work. It's repeated but unheard in the recreation room. They're talking about how peaceful it is, and best of all, no practical jokes. This makes the Enterprise laugh, though they don't know it's the Enterprise. The Enterprise which is laying a trap for McCoy, Uhura, and Sulu. Act 2. McCoy, Uhura, and Sulu fall for the unseen Joker's joke. They don't know that it's the Enterprise, but it doesn't really matter. They're caught in the trap. They can't walk out. On the bridge, Spock's asking the computer why they cannot get in touch with the officers in the rec room. But the computer is being completely immature, answering direct questions with responses such as, That's for me to know and you to find out. Say please and say pretty please with sugar on. Kirk was willing to say please, but this sugar on business is just too much. He orders Scotty to turn off all of the logic functions on the ship's computer. Back on the deck with the holographic environmental simulations, McCoy, Uhura, and Sulu are pulling themselves out of the Unseen Joker's trap. McCoy is angry, though the Unseen Joker says, maybe this will cool you off, then brings about instant blizzard conditions. In engineering, Scotty goes to shut down the computer. Captain's orders, he mutters to himself, though the computer has other ideas. It reverses ship's gravity. Oh, what a feeling. The Enterprise crew is walking on the ceiling until Scotty moves away from the computer, and it feels less threatened. Then gravity's back to normal. Spock thinks he's figured out what's going on. The energy field through which they passed has released subatomic particles into the Enterprise computer, sort of like germs in a person or something. This produced a condition like a nervous breakdown in the ship. The problem, where the ship is being completely irrational, Spock can suss out no logical course of action. Back in the... Holonarium... That stinks. Back in the rec room, the blizzard continues. The temperature is dropping, and there's no indication of how to stop it or get out. McCoy, Uhura, and Sulu decide to start moving, if only to stay alive. Kirk is calling on engineering to pry open the doors of the rec room. Or he was about to, anyway. Suddenly, he's all laughs. In fact, everyone is, except for Spock. He's just feeling sick. 
the air is being pumped full of nitrous oxide, laughing gas. Sort of debilitating for humans, deadly for Vulcans. The three inhabitants of the rec room are laughing about the fact that they could die as we had to break. Act 3. The laughing gas is gone. Spock was able to activate the ship's emergency air before he was debilitated. Inside the imagination station, McCoy is about to give up, succumb to the elements. Suddenly, the environment changes from blizzard conditions to a giant hedge maze. McCoy thinks getting out might still take a while, until an engineering team pries open the happy fun time deck's doors. All crew safe and accounted for, the Enterprise is back underway. But no one is driving. The Enterprise is taking control of itself, and it's headed back to the neutral zone. Kirk says that'll likely draw another attack by the Romulans, which makes the Enterprise laugh. As it approaches the three Romulan warships, the Enterprise releases a giant balloon shaped just like the Enterprise. That stops the Romulans in their tracks. McCoy doesn't get it. Once the Romulans figure out that it's fake, they'll destroy both it and the real Enterprise. Kirk thinks it's kind of a cunning move, though. The Enterprise is playing a practical joke on the Romulans. The same Romulans that damaged it. Things start to go the way McCoy predicted. The Romulans destroy the balloon, see that they've been tricked, then start chasing the real Enterprise. Kirk says he doesn't care about that, though. All he cares about is avoiding that energy field that they went through earlier. The energy field frightens you, asks the computer. Kirk says it petrifies him. The computer says that's interesting, then takes the Enterprise straight into the energy field. Henceforth to be known as the Briar Patch Maneuver, this is exactly what Kirk wanted. Having passed through the energy field, the computer is back to its normal state. Of course, the computers on the three Romulan ships are Looney Tunes now, since this time they followed the Enterprise through the field. It'll be okay, though. The Enterprise will tell them what's up and how to fix it. In a little while. The end. Rare Fox, please don't throw me in the energy field. Exactly. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. I like that. Hey, um, so we talked about Lou Scheimer earlier, and uh, yeah, I do want to point out that you have Lou Scheimer and Norm Prescott's voices in the Romulan ships. Um, mm. And like I said, Lou was also heard last week in one of the Orion uh, characters on the Orion pirate ship. Um, Ken, they, they've got a holodeck. They got a what? Well, they have a holographic... No, wait, say that word again. What was it? Holodeck. How did I not hit on that? That's that's perfect. God, I hope somebody writes something like that in later. I hope they do, too. This idea was originally conceived by Gene Roddenberry for the third season of TOS. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just have to say, you know, that seems like a necessity if you're on a starship for five years. You, You would go insane if you didn't have a way to escape those cold metal halls yeah so, either that um, or like a virtual reality thing yeah 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 something, something along like those that. lines because seriously the first time we saw the rec room on the original series i thought mm-hmm. yeah I'll, I'll be in my bunk right <laughs> that'll be better and not um, in that firefly way although yeah. that would also be better anyway be better. sorry um, it is interesting that tape uh, that, that mccoy says the tape malfunctioned yeah i, I love that line <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's kind of funny. Yeah. Somebody because, go fix the reel to reel. Because you can punch up whatever, but then is there a guy like in the background saying, all right, they punched up the ocean. So somebody get me the, you know, get me the loop of the uh, ocean playing. Right. Or do they just have, maybe there are only 20 environments because that's all the tape players they have to play those loops. Spock has uh, a line here that I like. Illogical behavior precludes a logical solution. 
mm-hmm. kind of makes sense. It, it's kind of like I've said before and, and quoted others before. You can't reason someone out of a position they arrived at unreasonably. So uh, they've got to think outside the box, as it were, to uh, solve the problem they have here. Which I would say Spock is doing by declaring this mm-hmm. a, ner- a nervous breakdown. Well, yeah. As far as the yeah. ship's concerned, because that's that's how nervous breakdowns work, right? You uh, you right. get a germ, mm-hmm. you start making practical jokes. Mm-hmm. Nobody likes you. Yeah, uh, you went to medical school, right? That, that's yeah. how a nervous <laughs> breakdown. That's exactly what that is. Well, and speaking of uh, medical technology and medical knowledge, nitrous oxide. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. that. You know, if I were. Uh, an eight-year-old watching this and uh, was going to the dentist, you know, the next Monday, be like, yeah, load me up. Yeah, whip nitrous it. oxide. Mm. Whip it good. That's what I say. Um, I, I do have a question about the nitrous oxide thing, though. Where does mm. a ship keep a ship's worth of energy? I mean, air, excuse me, mm. a, a ship's mm. worth of air. And mm. then how is that not also under the control of the computer? Because <laughs> they're like, oh, nitrous oxide, this is hilarious. Except for Spock, who's like, oh. I'm going to die. Right, so right. I better activate the emergency air, which is where exactly? Now, I know they only have six hours of it, but I assume they have to fill the entire ship. Right. Unless right. it's just a, a nitrous oxide oxygen mix. This like is getting it to a certain notes. level. Yeah. I, I don't you know. <laughs> why didn't he just throw on one of those like glow in the dark uh, suit things? Hey, there you go. That yeah. would have made sense. Yeah. 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 That is a little weird. They, they, you just picture that they have to have air canisters uh, stare everywhere. I just did that thing that I hate. What's that? Why didn't he just put on the suit? Yeah, right. <laughs> Why didn't he just get in a shuttle? Why did they even oh, yeah. have to have this episode? Oh, I, I, I'm so sorry I did that. I feel like I've let you yeah. down. I feel like I've let anybody listening down. You no only only half of our listeners because right. the other half would be like, yeah. Why didn't? Yeah, why did he do that? That's right. I'm with you guys this week. Next week, yeah, we'll talk. Hey, um, were you disturbed as I was by uh, Sulu's laugh during the nitrous oxide moments? Um. I, w- I wouldn't say I was disturbed. It was noticeable. It was, because everybody knows what George Takei sounds like laughing. Yeah. Now. And that whatever he was doing in there, yeah. was, to me, it was very disturbing. That was a young George Takei laughing. That was. Maniacally. That was the, not the refined George no. Takei laugh that yeah. we know today. He hadn't found his laugh yet. Right. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it takes later adulthood to find your laugh. Maybe it does. Maybe it does. I found it interesting that the Enterprise goes from practical joking to specifically messing with Kirk's psychology in this kind of sadistic way. Mm-hmm. Like, you're afraid of that? Okay, I'm putting you in it because I'm entertained by you being terrified. Well, I mean, that's part of what a practical joke thing is. But remember also when Scotty went to turn on or turn off rather the ship's logic functions and which may be close to lobotomizing. And mm-hmm. and it's going to surprise you, but we're going to talk a lot about this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Scotty does say, though, well, sorry, old girl, got to take a nap. Captain's orders. Right. So at that point, if the ship was just having fun before, mm-hmm. now it's got a target. Right. Because right. Kirk did try to take it out. I mean, and in fairness, I mean, it also did target the Romulans, by the mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. Is there like a three times the size of your ship? Is that like a is that like a standard issue? Oh, that that was that for, was just bizarre for yeah. every for every ship of the fleet, right? <laughs> just here, we were going to pack you with here's your emergency balloon, exactly your decoy balloon. Yeah. In case other people's sensors aren't working, you'll want them to know who you are. So blow up right. this one that's three times the size of you. Just don't use the emergency air to blow it up. Yeah, because you might need. Yeah, I will say um, I was struck in this episode. 
as in a, a lot of episodes, by how crazy lucky Kirk is. Mm-hmm. They go through the barrier, and the ship is made crazy. Yeah. Uh, he surmises correctly, thank goodness, that going back through the barrier will make the ship less crazy, because it could mm-hmm. just as easily have made the ship, like, eight kinds of crazy. This could have gone, like, exponentially worse. Like, yeah. you know, oh, you split its personality. Well, let's go back through and put it back together. Yeah, but we might actually split it, like, nine more times. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah, let's try it. Really, what could go wrong? Oh, and I'm not going to tell you guys, by the way. This is just this is just between me and the computer. <laughs> I agree with you. But um but but here's the thing, Ken. All right. I I cuz I I think I know where this conversation is going to go. Oh, you know where this conversation is going to go. I do. I yeah. do. And I have to ask, yeah. should we have treated the Enterprise as a new sentient being? Because I'm still I I've said it before, I would have used control alt delete if if the ship that I'm commanding and is filled with 400 plus crew members who are living beings might die. It's time to reboot the computer. Forgive me for breaking the timeline, but I'm going to build an exobot model. Okay. And throw it at you in oh, Vegas. Oh dear. Oh no. Oh Didn't, no. I mean, have, have we not learned any? Well, I guess we haven't because so far Kirk has not met a computer that he's not fine just destroying. The only yeah. one. The only one that he did not destroy was the one in Once Upon a Planet. But what they what they did with that one was just told it, no, 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 no. You don't mm-hmm. need to explore. You don't need to live. You don't yeah. need to really, you know, seek out anything. You, you just stay here and be nice to people. And that's yeah, like that's an awesome thing. If I could stay someplace and be nice to people, I would totally do that. Lies, yes. Kirk. Yeah. <laughs> I said at the end of the, um, at the end of the, uh, the uh, what do you want to call it? Recap. Yeah. That the computer was back to its normal state. What I started to say was that the computer was back to its normal self. And and that mm-hmm. may, in fact, be true, mm-hmm. uh, which is sad. Um, what the computer is saying as it's winking out, you know, in sort of the what a world, what a world, I'm melting, I'm melting face. <laughs> right. Is right. you tricked me. How could you? It's not fair. Mm-hmm. But who cares? Right. Because, you know, we got what we wanted. We're cool mm-hmm. now. We're not even going to think about whether the computer that is flying this <laughs> ship is is basically flying this ship in a lobotomized state or not. I mean, right. it, it has logic functions. It, it, he didn't say turn off its higher processor. He, he said turn off its logic functions, which sort of indicates that the computer is always thinking. But you know what? It's also always quiet about it. It, it answers questions that it's asked directly. Mm-hmm. It never pipes in with new ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember. Has the computer ever just saved the Enterprise on its own, at least to this point? Not not up to now, no. All right. So yeah. I guess it's good that it's not taking that kind of control, although one mm-hmm. wonders if it could take that kind of control. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of made me wonder if the computer in Once Upon a Planet was sort of reverse correct. It it had said that it was tired of being a slave uh, to other beings. It wanted to roam the galaxy the way ships like the Enterprise do. Mm-hmm. And Kirk says that people and machines work together. But, you know, they don't really. Uh, pe- <laughs> people use machines, right? Right. And when the ship exhibits some personality, Kirk orders it turned off. No talking to it, no reasoning with it, no wondering whether the ship is actually sentient the rest of the time. And again, I mean, you do want to save yourself right then, yes. I I don't want the 400-some-odd people on board the Enterprise to die. But you know, Spock, I mean, in a normal episode, has to be wondering, so is this thing, like, awake? (laughs) Like, have, have have we gagged it? Have we have we you know, debilitated it? 
honestly, they're not even thinking about that. It reminded me of, and this is crazy, I, and I understand it's crazy, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, it reminded me of Blood Diamonds or Conflict Minerals or, or The Homeless. <laughs> wait, wait, what? Well, you, you live in L.A., yeah. Do you walk around in L.A.? Or do you sure. want to do that song, Nobody Walks in L.A.? Which I love, but no, I actually walk in L.A. quite a bit. All right. Bit. All right. So how many homeless people do you pass in a day? Uh, all, a lot. Yeah, you, sadly, a lot. Okay. Are you conscious of them? Because I'll be yeah. honest, when I lived in San Francisco, it got to the point where I could turn it off. And I feel bad mm. about that. But if you didn't, mm. you wouldn't get anywhere. And you might actually just sit down on the sidewalk and become one of them. Because it's it's an insurmountable <sighs> seemingly insurmountable problem and i don't mean to sound callous about the homeless it's it's i don't feel good about it but it is something that i became adept when i lived both in boston and in san francisco sort of like you know turning off um really the blood diamonds or conflict minerals thing might be a better way to put it though we want what we want and -hmm. we don't think about it too much and this goes all the way from that nice rock on your finger to your ipod or your mm-hmm. iPad or your iPhone. And now mm-hmm. Apple itself is actually, you know, sort of backed away from conflict minerals. But I seriously doubt anybody who, you know, on the cheaper end of the spectrum <laughs> is worried too much about conflict minerals because it wants to sell what it wants to sell and people want to buy what they want to buy. Well, it, I mean, it, it, here's the thing. Like, the, the way that I would look at this, if you were to find a compromise for, for this situation, mm-hmm. um, I, I am fascinated by the idea of – We've kicked around these terms, artificial intelligence, manufactured intelligence, synthetic intelligence. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of our listeners wrote in uh, proposing that term. And I I mentioned on the show before how fascinated I am with the idea of a computer like Watson, Mm -hmm. the the IBM sort of first foray into uh, a computer that truly has fuzzy logic that can answer questions with probability, not just spit out the results of a Google search, right? Because ultimately, that doesn't do you very much good. But if I can feed a computer general information and have it narrow down something, th- this could be fascinating. Th- this could be a way in the future, and probably not too distant future, um, to be able to answer very difficult questions. If it can look at it, a whole history of legal decisions, a whole history of scientific research, and come up with what is um, what is likely. And help us to sort of sort through the junk to get, to get rid of that. But here's the thing. Watson and whatever artificial synthetic intelligence we come up with, I think has got to have certain parameters around it based on function. If I'm in a spaceship filled with 400 other people that I am responsible for, then a computer with a certain amount of fuzzy logic intelligence might be very helpful to help make decisions. But... If it is something that is constantly thinking on its own, this may be more useful somewhere else, but not in an environment where potentially things could go wrong and you kill everybody. Okay, but but the problem is if you come to a place of finding out that you have accidentally created mm-hmm. this thing, what do you do? Take the memory out. Do you go ahead? And, do you go ahead and put a <laughs> muzzle back on it, or do you? I mean, do you once you get it to stop, you know, being the practical joker, do you then, you know, say to it? By the way, <laughs> can you hear me? And do you want to talk about what's going on? I mean, because mm-hmm. it just goes back to, oh, thank goodness that's over. It wasn't like the ship was malfunctioning, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, this it, this is not like, I mean, if the food replicators just suddenly were, you know, producing turkeys, just, just producing turkeys all over the place, then you would say, well, there's something wrong with the food, uh, the food replicator. Yeah. If the shields weren't working or if they were always working, you'd say there's something wrong with the shields. 
the, the computer is is doing stuff to amuse itself. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's really I mean, that's really the, the simplest way to say it. It is doing something to amuse itself. If you can apply the term itself to it. Yeah. Then you've actually got a, a a thing that you need to deal with. I don't mean a problem that you need to solve. I mean you've got a you've got a you've got a sentience that you need to try to come to terms with. It seems to me, or you know, just just cut out that part of its brain, whichever. <laughs> I think that amusing itself has got to be way low on the priority list. Okay, you're, you're missing the point though. The fact that it can amuse itself indicates. <laughs> that there's a self there to amuse and if there's a self there to amuse and they need to talk about it now this is kind of maybe this is goofy mm-hmm. to even discuss because it's not real yet maybe it's not goofy to discuss because as you say i mean there are people i've talked about him before kurtzweil believes in the next 20 years i believe it's actually in the next 15 that the computers are going to claim sentience and and that they're going to be so good at it that we'll have no choice but to believe them and there mm-hmm. will probably be ethicists who will always say well no because it's programming and you can see where that is there will be other people i think i would be on their side who would say well so's mine i mean yeah. there's more yeah. going into it than we can catalog certainly and we can't say exactly like <laughs> down to you know the mm-hmm. micron how i was built but I'm a product of everything that's gone into me at this point. So will an artificial or synthetic or manufactured intelligence be? And maybe it's maybe it's worth talking about now because at some point, you know, well, for God's sake, we want to avoid rise of the machines, don't we? Well, Ken, I got two words for you. Hal 9000. Yeah. What about him? Well, well, I mean, the, the thing that sort of disturbs me about this, I guess, is that had this been a much more serious episode had had this been a, an adult version of star trek and we are going that route with the computer mm-hmm. it kind of disturbs me the computer could actually do all that stuff the, the computer has a seemingly magic uh, way to manipulate space and objects to do whatever it wants it's like i'm gonna put kirk as a jerk on your uniform i can do that make dribble glasses i can do that Mm -hmm. it can do all this stuff so maybe the intelligence isn't as big a problem as just its capacity to do things with that intelligence well the only one of those that i actually had a problem with was the part where they could where it could turn the corridor floors into ice yeah, that's no good. Although it looks like a little good. bit of ice dancing going on there, which is kind of interesting. <laughs> no, but I mean, they rely on the, I mean, the food, uh, whatever machines uh, produce mm-hmm. everything that they have, right? Both the food and the utensils. So the mm-hmm. fact that I could do that didn't really surprise me that much. I mean, yeah, you can ask, should we turn that much control over to computers? But, you know, as we sit here and record this, I actually asked a guy 14, 15 years ago now, I was like, should we really be turning as much of the, you know, military <laughs> system over to computers as we are? And he was like, "Yeah, we already are." Yeah. <laughs> like, right, oh, right. oh, okay. Well, then, well, never mind. Let's not even let's not even wonder. Yeah. Uh, so, are there lessons to be gained from this, Ken? Um, I don't know. I mean, that's the thing. The first time I watched it, mm-hmm. it just kind of annoyed me. And yeah, right, the second right. time I watched it, I started thinking a lot about the computer. So, I mean, I guess if there is a lesson, and and I know this is reaching very far for me. If there's a lesson, it's it's to not you know take things for granted or not assume that things are the way you think they are. But it's not a lesson. Is, is the thing is that's a lesson I'm applying to it because it's not a lesson that the Enterprise crew picks up on. Right. Spock really should have come away from this episode going, "Wow, we need to talk about how we're treating the computer." But oh, right. but there's no indication that he did. You know, yeah, that, that so. would have been a very very different episode. I mean, I, I think for the 
audience of children that this was intended for, mm-hmm. uh, partly intended for, it was intended for adults as well, but I'm reminded of you asking a few episodes ago, have you ever heard a five-year-old try to tell a joke? <laughs> you know, And I just think that if there is a simplistic lesson here is kids stop playing practical jokes because it wears thin or the person in charge will kill you well or or lobotomize (laughs) you yes bad news boys and girls nobody loves you I'll explain why after this Captain's Log, star date 5122-2. While monitoring Earth, we found Bob and Johnny playing in the attic. It was a phaser duel. Bob, hiding behind an old trunk, spotted a shadow on the door. He fired three phaser flashes in a row. He missed. John started to work his way closer. He knew his super phaser was good at 50 feet, but he wanted a sure shot. They both started to fire. Bob was on the ladder. John fired. He hit the Starfleet badge. The sound signal to hit. Only the Star Trek Super Phaser 2 target game signals every time you score. Star Trek Super Phaser 2 target game. New from Mego. I was kidding about nobody loving you. The Enterprise computer was right, though. Practical jokes are fun. Anyway, back to the show. Cartoon number two. Albatross. Act one. Let's pick up this story right at the end, okay? Kirk, Spock, and McCoy are leaving the planet Dramia after a successful medical mission, and it's all pleasant goodbyes and see you next time. Nothing else to do here. Thanks for showing us a good time. Well, uh, there is the minor matter of the Dramian prefect having his second, Commander Demos, hand over an arrest warrant for Dr. McCoy. Seems there was a little incident on Dramia 2, Electric Boogaloo, where McCoy is being accused of unleashing a plague on that planet, which just about killed everybody. Oops. To be exact, 19 years ago, McCoy was on Dramia 2, helping to inoculate the inhabitants against a Saurian virus. See, the Saurians are known for something other than their delicious brandy. The matter will go to trial on Dramia, and Kirk objects that they are known for their kangaroo courts. Doesn't look good for McCoy, and McCoy himself is in doubt. What if he made a mistake and actually sent hundreds to their deaths? McCoy begins a little research as Kirk plans a trip to Dramia 2 to gather evidence. There's only what we do know. The plague causes discoloration of the skin, debilitation, then death. Oh, and if you're Spock, it's your lucky day. Vulcans are immune. The Enterprise heads off, but what's this? A Dramian ship is in pursuit. It's Demos, and Kirk gives him a sneaky welcome. They just accidentally happen to leave the hangar doors open, and Demos leaves his ship with the valet. Confronted on board, Kirk tells Demos that he is now considered a stowaway. His ship is impounded, and oops, they are out of range to report everything to Starfleet. Looks like Demos will have to enjoy the ride to Dramia 2. Act 2. 
Welcome to Dreamia 2. There's a lovely radioactive aurora in the sky, non-lethal, and a whole lot of ruins on the planet. There's also a zombie-like Dreamian creeping away from the landing party of Kirk, Spock, and Demos. They track him to a cave and find more Dramians. Kind of weird, that plague. Everyone who got it died, except this one kind of creepy old Dramian. Then there were a few Dramians who were away at the time, missed the plague, but returned to find desolation. They have not had an easy time on Dramia, too. The one survivor, Koltai, watched the whole thing go down. Pigmentation changed from blue to green to red, then dead. He's a big fan of McCoy's, though. Koltai even credits McCoy for saving his life from the Saurian virus. No man who saves could also kill, according to his logic. Well, that sounds like a pretty good witness to Kirk, so the landing party beams up with him for the return trip to Dramia. Scotty steps on the gas while Koltai gets some rest in sickbay. Everything is going just exactly according to plan, until Koltai turns blue. And then Kirk turns blue. And then Uhura and Sulu and Eric's turn blue. Even Demos gets under the action and turns blue. Everybody is blue except for Spock. He may not be much against choreocytosis, but he's got the Dreamian plague licked. With everyone around him changing color and passing out, Spock takes command. Act 3. Now, if you've got a list at home of general orders and what they mean, here's a new one for you. Spock calls out for General Order 6, which means that if everyone on board is dead within 24 hours, then the Enterprise will self-destruct. It's a protective countermeasure to kill off the disease. We just hope Spock gets out of there, too. Now that the Enterprise has arrived back on Dramia, Spock calls the Prefect and explains what has happened. He asks for Dr. McCoy to be released for medical help, but the Prefect says no. Spock pulls a very un-Spock move and carries out an old-fashioned jailbreak. McCoy is needed on the Enterprise, but McCoy is worried about the legality of this plan. Once he knows about the plague, though, McCoy is ready to go. After all, he's a doctor, not a... well, well, he's a doctor, and they need a doctor. Also, he will likely become infected, too, so he better work fast. There's a good deal of working and toiling, toiling and working. They're coming up with nothing. But then a weakened Kirk mentions the aurora they passed through. The same thing happened to McCoy 19 years ago, and he and Spock figure that was causing the color change. It was unrelated to the plague. There's still no antidote. But Spock connects the dots with Koltai. It was probably the Saurian virus antibodies in him that made him immune to the plague. McCoy whips up a batch of those antibodies. Antibodies! And loads up the hypo. Oh yeah, Bones just saved everyone on the ship, including Demos. He should get pretty far with that story when he tells it to the next woman he finds himself alone with in the medical lab. Back on Dramia? Trial? What trial? Jailbreak? What jailbreak? Stowaway? What stowaway? We'll just forget the whole thing. Then Spock takes a cheap shot at McCoy. The end. Man, what is up with the Dramians taking the help of McCoy <laughs> and the Enterprise and then lowering the boom? I know. What is what up with that? Jerks. He should have yeah. like beamed down. And they should have been like, you're under arrest, sugar. Instead, right. they're like, oh, hey, thanks for everything. This is really awesome. Uh, side note, if he destroyed one planet, why are they going to take his help? Right? Yeah. Right, yeah. And, and one last thing, and I know you've got mm-hmm. some stuff that's specific to this episode to get to, but uh, we're yeah. trying to strengthen ties with Dramia. 
but their justice is best likened to a kangaroo court, according right. to Kirk. Right. It seems like this is the kind of society that we would work with before we try to strengthen ties <laughs> with them. I mean, <laughs> right. if we know that their whole thing is, you know, cross them and they're going to kill you, whether you're actually guilty of something or not, mm-hmm. or, or they're going to imprison you, whether you're actually guilty of something or not. Th- this really doesn't seem like Federation material to me. Well, you, you know, it's the difficult navigation of diplomacy. It's sort of like um, it's sort of like uh, Singapore. You know, you don't want to get caught chewing yeah. gum and spinning it on the sidewalk there, but but they're still our friends. Yeah, okay, okay. We still want to work with them, but we have to respect their laws too. But I, I do agree that if, if you show up and if somebody on your crew is uh, wanted for trial and being arrested, you should probably get that out of the way first, maybe before they even arrive. Yes. All right. I'm with you on that. Yes. Just, just as a pleasantry. Um, yeah, I, I did mention it, uh, but uh, Lou Scheimer here as Demos. So th- this is a pretty major role for him. And uh, he, he does it well. He's not an actor, per se, but, uh, but he does it well. What does albatross mean? What, what it, why is this episode named albatross? Well, it can mean a lot of things. It is literally a bird, uh, a sea bird, and Albatross has been the name of myriad ships, airplanes, all kinds of things. But in this case, we're using the metaphorical sense of the word albatross. An albatross following a boat was considered bad luck. So then the term later uh, evolved to mean a psychological burden that just wouldn't leave you alone. Mm-hmm. So in this case, we could see that as the burden that won't leave McCoy alone. Um, oh, and it's also the name of a uh, Public Image Limited song. Is it really? It is, yeah. Is, yeah. It, is it sad that that's the one that most interests me? Right. Well, it's a good song if, if you're into PIL. But, uh, uh, well, I love PIL, but I don't know. Yeah. See, the thing is I know a lot of their songs, but I don't know the names a lot of, the, of a lot of their songs. Mm. Well, this would be the one where uh, you hear the word albatross a lot. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, uh, yeah. Uh, Okay. No, yeah. I don't know it then. I'll have to go. Okay. Up. I'll have to go dig into that. The the thing that's interesting to me about this episode is that we're just breaking rules all over the place. Mm-hmm. Just don't even care. We're we're just going to break rules like we've never met a rule before. Um, so that they, we didn't want to break. I thought that was pretty interesting and funny that we have such a one eighty between Spock and McCoy. Spock is ready to bust McCoy out of jail, no problem. Yeah. McCoy would rather go by the book and just face trial. Like, hey, I might get in trouble here. What? You're already in a jail about to face trial. How much more trouble could you be in? Yeah. <laughs> you, know? I got, you brought it up in the, in the, uh, in the recap, but I've got, a, I've got another question just sort of about the Federation as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, General Order 6. Yeah. We're going to blow up the Enterprise again. Okay, fine. Yeah. Whatever. I'm curious how they activate General Order 6 without Kirk or one or two other executive officers there. And I'm also I'm also wondering how plague-ridden is space that it's the sixth <laughs> order? Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I would think that that would be like, you know, General Order 32 or General Order 35 or, you mm-hmm. know, somewhere, you know, down the line a little bit. I mean, is it just is, – is space so disease-filled that they were like, It might be. We it really be. need to make sure that this is early on the list because yeah. we don't want this uh, – we don't want this. You also made another interesting uh, point. Spock's not going to die from this. Right. If everybody on the Enterprise is dead – then they're going to blow up the ship. Does that mean that Spock is now going to be living on uh, on on Dramian? Dramian? On Dramia. Dramia. Yeah. yeah. That, that would be kind of a weird sort of thing for him. Yeah, the logic is a little short-sighted there, I well, thought. And as is the logic of, of Spock actually uh, pulling off the jailbreak. Yeah. Explain yeah, yeah, the medicine yeah. of this to me. Spock cannot infect the planet. 
but the enterprise has to be destroyed if everyone on board dies so that the disease won't spread. Right. So how is the enterprise a threat if Spock isn't? It feels like we sort of didn't really examine the whole carrier versus, you know, um, yeah, <laughs> victim yeah. thing here. Because the second I, Spock beams down, I'm assuming, you know, even one germ on his sleeve may be the end of, of Dramia. That's the thing. Yeah, I thought for sure that Spock would be a carrier. No, nope. this, this would be a problem. Apparently not. Yeah. yeah. Um, the, the Dramians are uh, a very litigious people, apparently. and um, But they seem to have problems with basic scientific concepts like correlation, causation. That kind of, they're just looking for a scapegoat. But it took them 19 years to figure this out. I guess that not only they litigious, they have no statute of limitations about anything. Well, they well, come on. I mean, <laughs> here we are, what, 2014, mm-hmm. as we record this, and I just heard a story the other day of a Nazi being found. Mm, okay. a, a World War II Nazi who is now wow. going to stand trial, and he's like late 80s, early 90s, I think. Wow. Yeah, wow. We, we don't have a statute of limitations on genocide. And and I'm, I'm for that, honestly. Mm-hmm. I'm okay with that. I'm not, you know, we don't have to talk about the death penalty if you don't want to, but if you mm-hmm. are somebody who basically tried to wipe out an entire race, mm-hmm. or who's suspected of, of trying to wipe out an entire race, right. maybe we have a talk. And you can say, look, it's been 50 years, or you can say it's been 19 years, and I'll still say, yeah, but I think there's just a few things that we need to go over. Mm, yeah, so, no, that's very true. I thought it was cute, though, that the, the Dramian saying, uh, a man who saves does not kill. So sweet. And I, such an innocent. I, I thought immediately, well, there's probably a lot of examples we could point to where that is not entirely true. <laughs> probably so, yes, yeah. I would, I would yeah. imagine. And but you, you, you just keep believing that. Yeah, let's not do it. Let's not do it today. Let's. Right. You know. But this episode is full of serious stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it seems like topics that have been in and around Star Trek before, and will definitely be handled much more thoroughly in Trek yet to come. The the ghost of future Trek. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I was really interested in um, how severe the topics were that they were dealing with talking about a plague that wiped out an entire population we're talking about legal recourse we're talking about potentially the death of the entire crew of the enterprise this is heavy heavy stuff mm-hmm. and uh, and well done good on them for handling all of that and there's also mccoy's own existential crisis which you mentioned earlier yes i mean the fact that he's sitting there going I- I may have done this. We need to yeah. find out whether I did this. And it's not sort of like a Kirk thing. I mean, what Kirk would do is, of course, grab a phaser, steal a shuttle, and go off and prove that he's innocent. Mm-hmm. McCoy, mm-hmm. on the other hand, is like, no, I got to stand trial. We got to, I mean, this this has to be decided. And yeah. and, and it's not going to be decided by McCoy going, it wasn't me, you know, <laughs> right. which, which right. is honestly how Kirk would do it. Kirk, yeah. with the exception, I mean, in very few instances, I think Kirk might go ahead and say, well, I mean, like like a court martial, for example. Mm-hmm. I mean, he he will stand trial, but he would have to sort of see the value in the trial. It would have to be an authority to which he's willing to succumb. McCoy, on the other hand, is just so blown away by the possibility that he might have done this that he'll right. sit there and let let other people decide whether he did or not. I thought that was fascinating. Yeah, yeah. it's a really interesting turn for that. Speaking of McCoy, I, I have to make light of it again because I did in the recap that he, I, somebody on the writing staff. Either they didn't catch it or they were just having fun with it. His line, I'm a doctor, 
pause. A doctor. Right. Yeah, I wanted him to say, I'm a doctor, not not a doctor. Um, okay. But a doctor. Because a double negative would be a positive, but I had to say I'm not something, but I'm not right. not that thing. So that it makes oh, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> uh you, Demos you, would have made a great Starfleet Commodore. Um, because pretty much as soon as he gets on the Enterprise, he's just hanging out behind Kurt, just being that annoying voice over his shoulder. Like, eh, you're going to get in trouble for this, eh, and I want you to go to the planet. Uh, you got to get me back. <laughs> he would be, if we establish Federation ties yep. with Dramia, sign him up for a big promotion. He could be the ambassador. Because mm -hmm. it's, sure it's ambassadors or commodores that tend to be mm -hmm. um, dinks. Yeah, right. On, right. uh, at least in at least so far in Star Trek, I can't remember. Well, how could I remember? We haven't seen it yet. I'm sorry. I was going to say I can't remember what happens in other series, but who knows if there are other series beyond we the animated don't. series? We, we don't, do yeah. not know. Sure, this we're planning on doing there. this for another 14 years, but we don't know why. Yeah, exactly. <sighs> yeah, you kind of. I don't want to say blew off, but you kind of just sort of took as read the whole uh, study of causality thing or, or yeah, lack yeah. thereof. Right. Um, this actually struck me as, as pretty heady stuff for, I mean, as you pointed out last week, DC Fontana said they were not doing kiddie shows. But I mean, this right. still was on Saturday mornings. I mean, it sure. still is a cartoon. It has all the trappings of a kiddie show. Sure. It's sort of an interesting thing to point out to kids. Okay, so it looks like that pigmentation change is you know part of the disease but it's not exactly part of the disease mm -hmm. right the plague is apparently brought on by the aurora but that just leads to a, sort of an anomalous symptom which is you know the changing of colors right at its simplest this is a message it seems to me to not jump to conclusions yeah. um on a couple of levels both in terms of of the disease is not what the disease looks like i mean the presenting thing is not necessarily what you should actually be paying attention to Right. But also in terms of the Dramans or Dramians accusing McCoy. Yeah. I mean, to, they to me, that was the big thing. Yeah. It, it really was that it, that just McCoy's very presence there would make them like I said, they, they're looking for the scapegoat. They're looking for the out. And mm, I'm not oh. sure I agree that they're looking for a scapegoat. I mean, I think they're I think they're jumping to conclusions just the same way that McCoy and, and Spock and Kirk were about the disease. Yeah, well, yeah. It yeah, looks yeah, like yeah. this, so it must be this, right? I mean, right. Th there's no – it looks like this. It, it could well be that, so let's go ahead and say that that's a possibility, but let's look at others. Now yeah, – they're ready, they're ready to go to trial with it rather than investigate the science behind it. Well, sure. Well, yeah. Like we don't. <laughs> well, I know. We, we do. We yeah. do constantly, and, and we, we draw – conclusions for things that are unrelated all the time and even when new evidence is presented we we are more likely to reject it and maintain our original belief than mm -hmm. to accept the new evidence say oh isn't that interesting i guess i was wrong now i get to move forward with this new information you know so. what, what's funny is i actually had a mickey mouse club lp when i was a kid and it was mm -hmm. the old mickey mouse club with you know annette and cubby and jimmy cubby. And roy oh, you know, right on. Yeah. It, it, it was that one. And there was a song on there called Don't Jump Into Conclusions. Mm. And and the thing wow. is, I remember that from when I was a kid. And so, of course, that was something that Annette and Cubby were singing to kids on television in the 1950s. And yet here we are again in the 70s saying both to children and adults, don't jump to conclusions. It Just because it looks like this thing. Yeah. I hate to do this. It looks like a duck, and it walks like a duck, and it quacks like a duck. <laughs> Seriously, just double check, because maybe, but maybe not. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, it really, it really is sort of a, uh, it really sort of seems to be a message to, well, yeah. I mean, at, at both at, at as most complex and it's most simple, uh, don't jump to conclusions. I mean, that really seems to be um, yeah. the vein that runs through this entire uh, that runs through this entire episode. Correlation does not equal causation. Word. Yeah. So, um, so but yeah, I, I think that's where I, I kind of brought it in for a lesson is that I, I was intrigued that McCoy expresses self-doubt mm-hmm. in, in the episode because it was a serious moment in, in this overall serious episode. Um, and, and as a man of science, he should be the first to clamor for evidence of uh, either – what would prove the accusation or would disprove the accusation. But he, he seems really resigned to the idea that, hey, mistakes happen. And, and I may have not had the intention. Um, clearly, his intention was to go there and save those people. But um, his actions may have had unintended consequences. So he, he's ready to face that and hear it out. I thought that was uh, pretty serious. It's interesting though, because you say he's a he's a man of science, and technically he is because he is a doctor. But he's always sort of played as a country doctor. No, it's true. He's, it, it, he's a country doctor that goes with his gut. I'm not saying yeah. that country doctors aren't men of science either, but I mean Spock is the man of science on this right. show. Well, it is why I stopped short of saying that McCoy is a scientist. Yeah, because he he can be a doctor and he can work in a scientific field, but it doesn't mean that he has a a perfect grasp of the logic of scientific inquiry. And those right. are two very different things. So yeah, that good, good clarification there. That's why I didn't want to call him a scientist. Do, do me a favor though. Don't say he can be a doctor. He is a doctor. <laughs> a doctor. He's a doctor. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, so did, did you, how did you feel about him? Did you like these episodes? Did you not like these episodes? Um, you know, the practical joker is, I think I'm like you, where it just sort of grated on me at first. Mm-hmm. It's like one joke after another. And even though we found this very interesting, you know, existential idea behind it about the Enterprise computer being a sentient being and how do we treat that, um, I, I think it's a pretty weak episode because it's just a series of, you know, one joke after another. Um, the Albatross I quite liked. I mean, it, it really fits in very nicely with um, – the characters that we have grown to appreciate and understand over these years of the development of Star Trek. And we got to deal with something that, uh, like I said before, could have been a plot line on future Star Trek to really deal with something quite, quite serious, quite heady mm-hmm. about uh, unintended consequence and uh, facing the music. Mm-hmm. So. Um, yeah. Um, so a practical Joker, not so much albatross. Yes. How about you? I like the ideas that I came to with practical Joker, but yeah, it's, it's an annoying episode, which is too bad. Um, I would love to see, I I would love to see this treated a bit more seriously. I would love to see this idea sort of examined more. It's the same kind of thing that we talked about with once upon a planet. I mean, this, this really should blow Spock's mind. Yeah, Unless yeah. Spock has already known and just decided it was a necessary evil. But either way, <laughs> I mean, the most fun you're going to have with that episode is, first of all, seeing the hollow, sweet Narium. Mm-hmm. And then um, and then also um, anything that you think about it outside of the episode. Because, yeah, there, there's too much stuff that's goofy. I mean, the fact that everybody right, keeps right. thinking that everybody else is playing a practical joke on them. You know, <laughs> that, that nobody yeah, yeah. That, that they don't jump within the first 15 or 20 minutes. 
of this happening on the Enterprise to thinking something has gone wrong with the Enterprise, but they're assuming that somebody's still walking around playing a joke on everybody else. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it strikes me as a bit goofy. Um, which is too bad because I want to like it. Right, but right. I more like what I make out of it myself. Yeah. Uh, as far as um, as far as Albatross, e- yes, <laughs> I think I like it. I like the fact that yeah. I mean, I like the I like the examination that you get of McCoy or McCoy examining himself. Mm-hmm. Nothing weird. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was okay. It was fine. It was fine. It's not it's not my favorite of the animated series, but I'd, I'd sure. probably rather watch that again than I see. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I really like the stuff that I took away from the first one. So, yeah, they're they're both swell. I guess that's what I would say. Well, well, maybe Ken, maybe our audience found other things to take away from these episodes. Maybe they rank them a little differently than we do. Where would they reach us if they wanted to share that with us? Well, they could do that on Facebook, Skype, or Twitter. The handle of there, all three places, actually, is Mission Log Pod. They could call us, 323-522-5641. That number again, 323-522-5641. They could email us, John, missionlog at com. And if they do any of those things, they should remember that we may use their comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. Now, the question I have is, should we tell them all of that, or do you think they know? I think they know. Okay. <laughs> Ken, I cannot believe that we're, we're bringing it home. We're wrapping up the animated series next week with our final two episodes, How Sharper Than a Serpent's Tooth and The Counterclock Incident. Music for Mission Log provided by Big Gorgon Trio. Find their self-titled album on iTunes. Additional music provided by Warp 11. Online at warp11.com. And from the album Messages by Key Theory. Free to download at kitheory.com. I've been told I should apologize for the middle of the show. Apparently the episode was not about the practicality of practical joking. Sorry about that. I rarely pay close attention. And transmission.